Action! Climb it! Climb it! We are in Genova, Italy, protesting against climate change because politicians today are not willing to do enough about it. So we are taken to the streets to fight for our futures. I want to live in a planet that's not getting destroyed minute by the minute. Among the decades, the climate justice movement has been characterised by many stereotypes. The peace-loving hippie, the zealous radical socialist, the zero-waste van life blocker, an angry Swedish 16-year-old standing before a sea of young faces. All these characterisations have generally held a common thread, youth. Children are today somewhat the metaphorical face of the environmental movement. Over the past few years, we've witnessed the immense capacity for collective action the younger generation can possess. In this episode, we're talking about kids and climate change. We'll hear from young people about their relationship with climate action, look at the role young people play in motivating change and highlight the work done by children themselves in protecting the environment. You're listening to Think Sustainability. I'm Sophie Ellis. I'm Anna Thieben and, um, yeah, I'm an Enviro-convener of the Enviro Collective. Hi, um, my name is Amy Nguyen. I am also the Enviro-convener or co-convening together. The Enviro Collective is um, our branch of environmental action underneath the UTSSA, the UTS Student Association. It is our student union and we does a lot of action pushing the university toward um, a more green, sustainable, like climate action direction. Anna and Damien are both students at the University of Technology, Sydney. They lead an entirely student-driven environmental collective. Their group runs events like skill-building workshops and campaigns for a range of grassroots and national actions, from on-campus sustainability to government climate policy. Contrary to other groups of sustainability inside UTS, which is more about appreciating what UTS have already been doing, UTS Enviro have worked on campaign, the fossil fuel divestment campaign that was very successful. UTS is now Um, working on a carbon-neutral portfolio. The Enviro Collective has been a key motivator in establishing many of the sustainable practices active at UTS today. Our tradition is very long-standing and it's a very proud and loud collective within UTS. During the time that me and Damien have been a part of the Enviro Collective, we've had much more of a, like, outside of UTS focus on the broader environmental movement. But in terms of, like, the plastic-free food court and getting UTS to divest from fossil fuels as a corporation and trying to pressure UTS staff super to be changed from a fund that's unsustainable to a fund that's sustainable. Like, we've done a lot of work in that space. Anna and Damien count the collective's well-established and firm relationship with the university administration as part of their recipe for success. The UTS Sustainability Centre is quite active at pressuring for all elements of ETS to become more sustainable. And we have a good relationship with them and we work closely with them to run stores to educate students on like how their campus is doing cool stuff. 
most students, like generally, don't come from a place of wanting to do direct action. It's scary. It's very scary. And so like you have to build a community first if you're going to be able to take action together. For anything like the Enviro Collective to operate sustainably over a long time, you have to have a place where people can be happy together and then trying to do something together, like it's a joint goal, um, which was the May 21st climate strike for us. We had so many conversations with people being like, you're literally just standing outside of a building holding a sign, like what's that going to do? A lot of students care about the climate, but it's about making that connection go a little bit further and just bringing people in, which is, I think, super important. Damien explains that for him and many of his peers, being engaged in climate activism and working towards environmental justice is about much more than taking action or attending marches. It's about building community. We have to strike a balance between education, between activism, between all the social events, because we need to make sure that our community building as well. We are a collective before we are the Enviro Collective. That's the foundation that I always stand on top of. Me and Anna have this saying that we, our collective is just like the environment. We adapt to everything that they've thrown at us. and I am 15 years old and we have school strike for the climate for the last three weeks. We will go on with the school strike. Every Friday as from now we will sit outside the Swedish parliament until Sweden is in line with the Paris Agreement. In September of 2018, Swedish school student Greta Thunberg and her peers spent three weeks protesting outside the Swedish parliament. Since then, she's become a household name, a leading figure in the international environmental movement and been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. That first school strike in 2018 inspired over 1.4 million people worldwide, many of them school students, to strike for change. So my first protest and my first climate strike, they were both the same event um, that I went to was the very first Australian school strike for climate. That was the one which took place on the 30th of November, 2018. My first climate strike I went to in like year 11 or 12 of high school, I think with people in my geography class and it was a Stoppadani strike, which is kind of, it's crazy that that campaign has been going on for so long. That was the first time I really uh, engaged with climate activism um, in a physical sense, because up until that point, climate activism and living sustainably really just meant looking at Instagram posts that popped up on my Explore page that told me ways to cut down on my carbon emissions, reduce my carbon footprint, and how to tell others to do the same. I remember, yeah, being quite shocked by like how many people get out on the streets 
the climate strike was quite a eye-opening experience. First climate strike is actually May 21st this year. Um, I am an international student and my journey with activism has been rough. This, you can feel it in the air. It's not actually like a real tangible thing, but you can feel it in the air, in the expressions on people's faces, in the cheering and the shouting of the crowd um, and the sort of really strong sense of community that you feel when you're at a climate strike. Like when I say it's rough, it's rough because I'm on a bridging visa at the time. And what that means is I'm being considered for permanent residency and I don't want to be arrested. Like I don't want to be at any strike at all. My journey with activism is more behind the scene in building and posturing on campus in March. The court finally decided that I'm a citizen. The majority of my work is advocating for people of color, marginalized community to come to this activity and ensuring that international students know what their rights are and to understand that if you can't come to rally and stuff, you can still participate. I was really enamored by the fact that there are other young people that care about climate change as an issue and as the defining issue of our time. And I really was able to understand that, oh, I can fight for this. Other young people fight for this. Other young people should fight for this. And so I should fight for this too. Ash Jayeen Sharif is a student at the University of Melbourne. And as you just heard, he first became involved in climate activism in 2018. For Ash, there was no singular event, statistic or ICCP report that began his journey with climate change. It was watching the evolving situation in his home country of Bangladesh. Seeing uh, the yearly monsoon seasons get worse every year in terms of the impact it has on people, the fatalities and the disasters in terms of food shortages, homelessness, etc., um, that were caused by the floods and the cyclones. That was something that, as I grew up, uh, got worse and worse. And my people's lives are at risk already. Climate change is already here for them. For the longest time, I had just accepted it. Everyone accepted it. But it's something that shouldn't be accepted. The school strike for climate has been the most notable and populated form of environmental activism that young people have engaged with in recent years. But marching through the streets is not the only way they are demanding change. This year, Ash Sharif ran for a seat on the board of AGL, Australia's largest provider of electricity, and according to the Clean Energy Regulator, our largest corporate greenhouse gas emitter. Firstly... We know that the number one cause of climate change is the burning of coal. AGL needs to act now to change their practices and help get Australia on track to a renewable and sustainable climate future. (laughs) Last financial year, they reported losses of over $2 billion, which is very telling of the fact that the energy market is changing at lightning pace. There's really no reason at all for AGL to be continuing to operate fossil fuels. That means that their leadership is not up to the job. And so they need new leadership. And that's why I decided 
cool, I'm going to be that person. Ash is 18 years old. He says his age likely accounts for AGL's attempts to dissuade their shareholders against voting for him. He also says that it's precisely why he chose to throw his hat in the ring. I think that I should be the person to be running for their board because I have an understanding of what we need to do to protect our climate and because young people deserve a voice and young people need more representation because for the longest time, quite literally, like, as a child, you don't have representation. Like, you're not voting, you're just a kid, which is fun. But even as you become a young adult, young people aren't taken seriously. We keep seeing governments ignoring the school strikes because they don't think that our voices matter, which is funny because they do. A bunch of us are turning 18. I turned 18 since 2018. So now I'm going to (laughs) vote. I think it's really about getting a new voice in who actually has the best interest for everyone in mind and also getting the critical thing, which is youth representation. So how does an 18-year-old decide to run for the board of the biggest energy company in Australia? This is an idea that I worked on together with Greenpeace, whose support I'm really grateful for. This is the sort of like creative, bold action that Greenpeace is known for. It's been really good seeing support um, networks being formed. Because of that, um, I feel quite confident in what I'm doing and I don't feel, you know, belittled or anything by the reactions of AGL and honestly rather I feel quite empowered. I spoke with Ash just days before he was due to address the AGL shareholders at the annual general meeting. His demeanour was calm and collected. I'm actually quite interested to see how the AGM plays out. I'm honestly looking forward to it because I know that a lot of shareholders, for example, are mum and dad investors. They're parents of people my age, of my generation. So I know that the sort of fight and the struggle of the campaign is something that a lot of AGL shareholders should be able to understand because they know that they want a safe future for their own kids and it's a good thing to want a safe future for people. Ash was unsuccessful in his bid to join the board. The AGM did, however, see a majority vote from its shareholders to set Paris-aligned targets. However, the vote was not carried as it was dependent on another unsuccessful majority vote. Ultimately, he remains hopeful and motivated by the many new and evolving forms of action he's witnessing amongst his peers. I find hope in other bold new campaigns because it really represents that people, despite all this rejection really from those currently in power, are still willing and just as passionate to keep fighting and that gives me hope. Young people are also taking the fight for a safe climate from the street and into the courtroom. In May, the Federal Court of Australia ruled that the Federal Environment Minister has a duty of care to protect young people from the effects of climate change. The case was brought before the court by a group of eight teenagers, ranging from 14 to 17 years old. 
Dr Laura Skayers is a research fellow at the University of Melbourne School of Law. Her research focuses on climate change and environmental law and climate policy. I spoke with Dr Laura to nail down the significance of this case. She explains that the case was what's called a representative proceeding, which she says is similar to a class action suit. The children, supported by an 86-year-old litigation guardian, Sister Bridget Arthur, brought forward the case on behalf of all Australians currently under the age of 18 years old. The children sought to stop the approval of a coal mine expansion project in northwest New South Wales called the Vickery Extension Project. Dr Laura explained that as the Federal Environment Minister, currently Susan Lee, is responsible under federal environment law for the approval of these types of major projects, the case was brought against the minister. This is not, however, necessarily what makes the case unique. Dr Laura says it was the timing. She says that typically legal challenges to stop new fossil fuel projects or the expansion of existing ones are made after approval has already been announced. However, in this case, it was brought forward before approval had been granted. The case was partially successful. The court ruled that children are owed a duty of care against protection from the effects of climate change. But the judge did not find the court could tell the minister not to approve a coal mine, stating that it was a matter for the minister. Dr Laura explains that going forward, this means the minister must, however, consider the interests of the children and the way they will be physically harmed by the impact of climate change when deciding on approval. Shortly after the judgment, the minister announced that she would appeal the decision to establish duty of care. This appeal began just last week, so it remains to be seen whether the duty of care will be upheld. In September, the minister approved the expansion project. The children's case is not the only global example where a duty of care over protection from climate change has been found. Dr Laura says this Australian case drew inspiration from a 2015 Dutch case where the Supreme Court of the Netherlands found that the Dutch government owes a duty of care to its citizens to protect them against the harms caused by climate change. This case will not be the last time we see Australian youth fighting for protection from climate change through the legal system. Damien, Anna and Ash all agree that what young people bring to the climate conversation is a fresh perspective. Young people have a way of cutting through what is like a very politicised issue. Not only in Australia, but across the world, climate change for years has been known about but denied by politicians and corporations. And so for kids to come in to be like, why aren't you doing something about this? And also, I think, yeah, they have a a power to be like, there's something inherently wrong with this system and like question it because we're heading down the dangerous path. Young people realise that climate change is the worst group project that we have ever been a part of. And the deadline is coming up very close and we don't have a lot of time left. And so we're like, let's pick up the slack. We can't with this anymore. 
In Asher's point of view, climate activism is not so much a hobby or a passion for his generation, but a necessity. Obviously, like, the term like-minded people exists, but I feel like it doesn't really do it justice. Um, I think that these people are not just people who think similarly to you, but these are people who are in the same boat as you. These are people who are being affected by the climate crisis, who will be affected by the climate crisis. Like we're not just brought together by common interests or similar personalities. We're brought together by this passion to be able to survive. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about it because, yeah, it just builds such strong bonds because it's the bond of life and survival. For Ash Sharif, becoming a very public face of environmental activism here in Australia is complicated. Having a face that you can associate some sort of concept with makes sense in our heads. But I think that actually, like in practice, having people who become the face of climate activism or a particular strand or manifestation of climate activism, I think that is a bit problematic because it does, you know, uplift the voices of some people and minimise and erase the voices of others. He wants to see more representation of those affected most by climate change in our conversations that surround it. I think that it's important to have as many people as possible represented and especially marginalised peoples like people of colour like myself and other marginalised groups too. So I think that because we see faces of climate activism made, we are sort of turning climate activism and what it represents into an image rather than an active fight, a, a like a project that everyone is involved in. It's important and quite moving to witness and highlight the work of young people fighting for action on climate change. But it does beg the question of whether there is a level of harm involved with young people being held as the beacon of hope or as our motivation to create a stable climate for the future. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? It makes me proud because I look out into this crowd right now and to see all you young people, high school students, stepping up and being accountable and being heard and seen makes me so hopeful. It's, it is very interesting because I think the reason it so happens so much is that like in some ways that is the only way to communicate to an older generation is you have a child your child might be impacted by this. And I think it speaks to the fact that people can't think outside their own bubble and just conceptualise that climate change won't just affect Sydney and your child living in your house, but it will affect every community in this world. And people who are going to suffer on the front lines of climate change are those who are living in impoverished communities. But in some ways, it also is a way for our generation to be like, this is why it's relevant to us, this is our future and this is why you should care. So I think in some ways it's a really beneficial narrative, but I think it also is harmful because it doesn't extend further than that. Damien believes this narrative has been helpful in garnering attention and support, but he says it's served its purpose. I think that Save Our Children is good, um, but it can stop now. 
I do understand why it's a latching point for people to kind of grasp onto the sustainability environmental justice boat. It's like a, a great marketing scheme, but it's also it's very reductionistic. I'm not going to not acknowledge the fact that it's play a very crucial role in the way that the youth are looked at because we were the children that the narrative was speaking about. But it's time that that narrative evolve into not just the children, but every single marginalized community that have been affected by climate change. Think Sustainability is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology, Sydney, and is heard around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Think Sustainability is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Sustainability wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sophie Ellis. Thanks for your company.